0: so awesome to sing that. Let's pray together now. God, we come before you and we, I just want to thank you so much for the picture that is in that song of your, the love that you have for us and that, um, for every one of us and everyone who's watching online and everyone around our world that you are chasing us down. You're the father waiting on the prodigal. You want to show us your love. You want to help us to move into your grace and move into a place where we can know that we are forgiven by you. And God, I pray that for everyone in the room. If there's someone who's never said yes to you, today would be the day. If there's someone watching online in the future or right now, that the day would be the day they say yes to you today, Jesus, and receive your forgiveness because it's out of that forgiveness then that we can do the hard work we're going to talk about today. And we need your supernatural power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You can have a seat. So awesome to have you here today. I loved the rain last night, right? Oh, all all you... Yeah, you guys know me. I was in heaven, uh, except it kept me awake. So that was a little bit of a problem. uh, For several hours, from like 1.30 on, it felt like I was awake. And so here we are today. And so glad that you're with us. And uh, so we get to talk about... Uh, Another step in this series that we're in on be known and be loved. And just want to remind you kind of where we're going here. um, And that the whole idea of the series came from uh, some studies that have been released recently, and then just from talking to lots of people and kind of looking at the culture and uh, hearing a phrase that I thought was so insightful. And it said that we are in an epidemic of loneliness, we are experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. And so that's culture-wide. And especially, you know, they looked at younger generations and say they specifically are feeling that in strong ways. But I would say it's multi-generational. It's a place that we all feel this whole idea that we are lonely. They say there are more people today living alone than ever. And we're isolated from each other. And so we have this place where we, you know, we know that we want relationships, and we want to have people around us, but we're not sure how to get it. And we are, definitely weren't trained on how that we would have relationships with others. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the Bible, and we're looking at uh, what several New Testament writers and Jesus himself said, that they said, here's how you will relate to each other. Here's how my followers will re- relate to each other. Here's how you will One another, one another. You will do it this way. And there's 59 of them in the New Testament. 59 different times, not 59 different, 59 different times it says that you will do this to one another. And what we're doing is we're looking at this and saying, if we could learn to do this better as a church, imagine how we could help alleviate the loneliness factor from the people who come in these doors. And imagine if the people who come to these doors could have their loneliness alleviated somewhat as they go out into their world. Imagine what they would do in their world as they now have a different perspective as we all embrace together what it means to be known, to come out of hiding, to have other people see us the way that we are and to walk with him. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to grab your message notes look like this. They're in your program. These are really going to help you today as we follow along. And you write down some notes and some thoughts today. You have your Bible, please open it to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And so I'm going to be kind of looking between 26 and 32 uh, today as we're going to be talking about that. But I want to say this, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. We'd love for you to have a Bible in your home. And so if you go right out those doors or those doors, but over to that side, you're going to find some book, a bookshelf that's loaded with Bibles. You can take one. It's our gift to you. You know people don't have a Bible, you can take as many as you want. We'd love to have Bibles just flowing throughout our county for people reading from God's Word for themselves. Right at the top of our notes here, it gives us the theme verse for the series that we're looking at, and it talks about those of us who are part of Christ. It says, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So we belong to each other. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a wonderful feeling to know that you're not alone? that the Bible says that. And I know that some of you come in here and you're saying, well, Ron, I know it says that right there, but I still feel when I come in here, I still feel alone. And that's what we want to get better at. That's what we want to help people to be able to move out of that place where they're feeling lonely, to be able to move into a place where they feel that they belong. And here's the bottom line for the series. When love is shown, God is seen and people are changed. So when love is shown, God is seen and people are changed, and so as we engage together, that we believe that the truth of the Bible is right there. As that, as we live out the love of Christ in our community, we live out the love of Christ in our community here. That God will be seen as we do that, and then as God is seen, then people's lives will be changed and transformed. So we're looking at these statements, fifty-nine different times. It says that we're commanded to one another, and I would say that as we look at this, one of the reasons that we're so lonely, is that we carry with us a lot of unresolved anger, resentment, bitterness. Because our world is a broken place, and so people hurt us, we get hurt, and we're not sure what to do with that hurt, and then we end up bringing it inside and holding on to it until that hurt turns into bitterness and resentment. And then at some point, it's gonna, we're going to explode. It's going to come out. Because we don't know how to deal with the hurts when they come. We don't know how to do what we're going to talk about today. We don't know how to forgive. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Uh, when we had our surveys back in the Christmas season and through January, it said, if I could ask one question of God... This is what I would ask. This is one of the questions that popped up regularly. And the question was this. How do I forgive those who have hurt me? How do I forgive those who have hurt me? It's a question that we have deep in our souls because we've all been hurt, and some of us have been hurt more strongly or greater than others. And so uh, we would think, and then we look at that and we think that how can I actually forgive this person for what they've done? And that's just a question many of us have. And today I want to answer that question. I want to go to the Bible and answer that question. Colossians 3 was read just a few moments ago uh, by Bobby. It says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. You might underline that, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're going to come back and look at that phrase, forgive as the Lord forgave you, as we move forward here. But when it comes to forgiveness, I think that many of us would agree to this quote by C.S. Lewis. And he said this, he says, forgiveness is a beautiful idea until you have something to forgive, right? (laughs) We all want to be on the receiving end of forgiveness, but when it's my turn to be the forgiver, it's, way more complicated when it comes to that place. Forgiveness takes work. You know what forgiveness takes? It takes self-denial. Forgiveness requires sacrifice. It requires supernatural strength because it's just not my nature to be a forgiver. Now, I, I know from experience that not everyone is going to be on board with what I'm going to talk about today. Because for some of us, the pain we have is really deep. And I want you to know I really care about that, really care. And I've been praying and I've been just coming before God in my preparation this week, just asking God, say, God, would you at least plant a seed? Would you at least plant a seed in that person's heart who is really, really, really in pain today? And even that I'm talking about this, they're feeling it, they want to run or they're mad at me or that we're talking about it today or mad at you, God, because you haven't changed it. Would you plant a seed that would help someone move forward in this idea of forgiveness? I believe that God has something to say to every one of us today. Every single one of us. Now, I want to begin this morning by clearing up some of the confusion about what forgiveness is not. And I have a list of four things. And these come from a friend of mine, Bill Galtier. And he's a mentor and a friend of mine. And he has a website called soulshepherding.org. And I went on that website, I searched under forgiveness. And I found an article on forgiveness and it listed these ways that we confuse, get confused about forgiveness. And I just wanna share some of those with you. Or you can read a book. I've got some books in the bookstore that I picked uh, for this series. You can look at some of those on one specifically on forgiveness and you can find some helps there as well. But here we go four things forgiveness is not. First, forgiveness is not excusing. So, forgiveness is not excusing the other person by saying or thinking, Oh, they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. You know, you're, you're standing there, your um, right arm's been cut off by someone, and you have blood shooting out, you know, and like Monty Parthonish. And so, as that's happening, uh, you're going, oh, but I'm like this, but they didn't mean it, so I'm going to excuse it and I'm going to walk away. No, that's, that's not what forgiveness is. See, excusing is when we come up with reasons why we're hurt in order to make the offender appear innocent. In our eyes. It's just too hard for us to let them be responsible for the pain they cause. Second, forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, the phrase forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. You hear that phrase all the time. There's just one problem with that, folks. It's impossible. It's impossible to forgive and forget. Forget the pain that you have, because especially if you end up in a severe hurt and you walk the rest of your life with a limp, it's really hard to forget what happened. Third, forgiveness is not overlooking. It's not overlooking the offense. And so this would be where you're saying, well, I didn't really get hurt. That didn't really hurt that bad. And so I'm going to overlook the fact that I was hurt right now. I'm just really not going to deal with it because it's too much pain to deal with it, and I'm not sure it's worth the effort. And then fourth, forgiveness is not reconciling. So there's no reason to believe that when you've forgiven someone that you should be able to be reconciled with that person, that you would have reconciliation. Reconciliation. Forgiveness may result in reconciliation, okay? I got that. It may result in reconciliation, but hear this. Reconciliation is not required for forgiveness to occur. It's not required for forgiveness to You may never be in a relationship again with the person who hurt you. You may never be, especially if that person refuses to change the patterns that hurt you in the first place. Forgiveness and resuming relationship are two different things. Reconciliation takes two parties. Forgiveness only requires one. It requires one. It requires you. So how can we learn the skill of forgiving? How can we become forgiving people? I want to look at Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, and I want to consider that today. And I just love when we read these verses how honest Paul is. He's gritty. He's helpful and about how to approach others when we've been wronged by them. And so I just want us to prayerfully consider these words as we go through these today and that we can learn from him how to be forgiving. So Ephesians 4, 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Just think about what you see in culture right now. You see a lot of bitterness and a lot of rage, a lot of anger, brawling. You know, as you look at the things that go on from the whole thing when people feel that they've had their picture taken and they didn't get permission to, and they slam phones down and break them. Slander, talking about people in ways that are not uplifting, along with every other form of just ill intent. That's malice, ill intent. But instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So I'm going to give you four ideas about forgiveness on how we can all learn to become forgiving. And then we're at the end of our time together. We're going to receive communion as we get to receive God's forgiveness to us afresh and be reminded that it's only when we've been forgiven by him that we can be forgiving. So that's where we're headed today. Okay, first is this. I need to reflect on how I've been hurt. If I'm going to forgive, I, just need, I need to spend some time and reflect on how I've been hurt. I need to acknowledge I've been hurt. And so you know, some of us have a little bit more difficult time with this than others, uh, is that you know, some of us can go through life, and everybody around us is going, you, I can't even believe you're still walking with everything that's happened to you, and we're just kind of trudging through life, and we're not feeling it. Other people feel every infraction that comes their way, and so they're always waylaid at some point. But what we want to do is we want to realize, if I'm going to be able to forgive, I need to know what I feel. I need to know how I've been hurt, and I need to know the anger that's inside of me. I need to mess around in the inside and do a kind of a spiritual question time with God that He can help me to know. How, how was I hurt? I'm feeling something now right, God, now, God. I'm feeling angry or I feel hurt in some way. I feel sad, I feel depressed. Uh, so why am I feeling these feelings, and is it the result of something that someone's done to me? If so, what was? How did they hurt me? So Ephesians 4, this is what he says, in your anger do not sin. So what he's saying here is this. He's saying, in order not to sin in my anger, I have to know what? I have to know I'm angry. I have to know I'm angry. So I have to spend some time knowing the feelings aren't inside if I'm going to be able to ask God to help me to deal with those feelings in an appropriate way. So Paul has just acknowledged that. He says, if I'm going to move toward forgiveness, the first thing you have to do is just admit that I've been hurt. That's the beginning. So here's the deal. If someone has done something to hurt you, you should feel hurt. You should feel hurt. You should feel pain from that. If someone has done something to offend you, you should feel angry or you should feel hurt. But oftentimes, I just don't think we take the time to reflect, especially at the pace we live our lives, to stop and to reflect when I've been pinched or I've been hurt or I've been nicked in some way or there's been a word or there's been a look or there's been a tone. Uh, it's just so hard to stop. Whoa! Stop a minute. Time out. That hurt. Our culture doesn't allow us to have those timeout moments, but I'm saying that we have to have them. We have to take time out. And maybe it doesn't happen at the moment that you feel it, but it has to happen at some point. Get with God and ask Him, God, would you help me to know what I'm feeling right now? I have to reflect then on how I've been hurt, find my feelings, and what did I feel because of what they did to me. And I have to realize that my feelings are valid. I can only have my feelings, they're valid. And so I need to, if I don't verbalize them, though, I don't have anyone else who can help me to mirror back or reflect to me how I might just be off a little bit, even though my feelings are valid. I might be off in how I'm interpreting that person at the moment. I'm just going to give a recommendation. Uh, If you're struggling with some hurts that you're not sure about in your life that you've received at the hands of someone in your past or in currently right now, I just want to recommend that you might try Celebrate Recovery. Celery Recovery meets on Friday nights right here, and their whole mantra is that we are healing our hurts, our habits, and our hangups. And so if that's you, then I would think that that's a safe place that you might want to work on those. Okay, second idea is this. Refuse to harbor bitterness. I have to refuse to harbor bitterness. Unresolved hurt, unresolved pain, leads to what? It leads to bitterness. It leads to resentment. And if I don't deal with that, it leads to, in many cases, retaliation in some way. And this is what Paul says. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So I must release my bitterness and I must release my resentment in positive ways. And so I have to be careful that I'm not just spewing on everybody everywhere I go. Um, because that's not going to be helpful either, but I have to do it in a positive way. So forgiveness is not denying that you have feelings. We talked about that. It's not excusing. It's not overlooking. It's not denying you have feelings. If you deny what you feel, what will happen is, is that you will build inside of yourself this resentment, and it will build and build and build. You have to let it go. You have to release it in some way. You have to choose that harboring bitterness leads to the opportunity where I'm going to inappropriately express my anger. I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm going to explode against them. Instead, I must entrust justice to God. That's what Romans 12 says. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So if you believe God's word to be true, if you believe there's justice, then what he says here, he says, then I want to refuse to carry out vengeance and bitterness and thoughts of those. But then he goes on to say this in Ephesians 4. Paul says this, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We're going to leave that verse up for just a little bit. I want to talk about this for a minute. So next Sunday, Kim and I will have been married 29 years. (laughs) Woo! Yeah, just love that. I'm not going to be here next Sunday, so I thought I'd tell you today, so you could, you know, I wanted that. So there we go. So 29 years. And so um, when we got married, uh, we went through all the verses in the Bible because we got to write our own ceremony and vows and everything. And one of the things we talked about was this verse, do not let the sun go down while you were still angry. And so when we were newlyweds, we hadn't walked down the married road very at all. We were idealistic about what we could do and what we thought the Bible said. And so we I'm sure we made a pact that we will never, never, never go to bed while we're still angry. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. I'm sure most couples do that. That's the way most of us read that verse. We'll never go to bed while we're still angry. But here's what we discovered, and I'm going to be really delicate here. Here's what we discovered. We discovered that there are issues, there are relational bumps, there are hurts, there are infractions, there are misdemeanors that can be dealt with before sunset, right? You know, I just got pinched there, deal with this. It just, you know, once you learn skills in dealing with it, especially, you can deal with it, and it might take about 15 to 20 minutes, and you've done with it, and you go to bed, and you can go to bed without anger. But what we discovered is that there are other issues. Let's call them felony issues. <laughs> <laughs> that They just require more than one sunset to deal with. They just do. In fact, it may take you several sunsets just to know what you're feeling and to be able to come up with this thing and how you want to talk about it. I don't believe that every offense can be adequately and completely dealt with before you go to bed. So maybe that's going to help some of you. Now, there's some minor ones that can be resolved, as I said, but there's some harder things that just won't be resolved before you go to sleep. They just won't. And to think they should be. See, this is where we get in traps sometimes. We read verses like this and we think they should be and we think there's something wrong with us if we are still angry when we go to bed or we've now gone without sleep for three days because we can't go to bed because we haven't resolved this in some way. (laughs) There are bigger issues that can be resolved in one sunset. Bigger issues. Bigger issues. It may take longer than that. So, what Paul is saying, I believe, here, this is what I would say, is that just as the sun sets and just as the sun rises, we should make it our goal to resolve our anger. But it may take more than one sunset to be able to get through it in an appropriate way. But this is the question I want to ask, because I'm sure that's a relief for some of you, but I want to ask some of you this question How many sunsets are you going to live through? Before you deal with your anger see I think that's the bigger deal. How many sunsets are you going to live through before you deal with your anger? Paul's encouragement is that we would deal with it that we would deal with it that we would bring it out into the open so that we can resolve it in some way and he says if we don't, notice what he says here we give the devil a foothold we give the devil a foothold. What does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says we give the devil a foothold well That phrase to give the devil a foothold could be interpreted this way. Could be interpreted this way. Don't give the devil an opportunity, or the space, or a place in your heart. Don't give the devil. So you got a heart, right? We all have heart. And so what he's saying here is that you have an enemy, and this enemy is active. There's just not good and evil in the world, folks. There's an evil force in the world that is determined to destroy you and your relationships. So you've got a heart, and he's saying here that if I hold on to bitterness and I hold on to anger, that what I'm doing is I'm knocking the walls down in my heart, and I'm creating this little room in my heart. I wish I had a drawing, but I don't, but right here, just little fingers. Right here, and I've got this room right here, and this room I'm going to reserve for my anger And that's the devil's playground. And that when I have this room right here and I don't deal with it, what he's going to do is he's going to tag me. He's going to hit me. He's going to bring it up again. And then what's going to happen is the door's going to open. He's going to come out and all kinds of hurt is going to spew. So what he says, is, don't give the devil a space or a place or an opportunity that he can hurt others because you've refused to deal with it, you've let too many sunsets go by, and you're still acting like it's all going to work out somewhere down the road, without your help, when without your work and without God working in some way. Now, nobody wants to do that, right? No, we don't want to do that. We want to have better relationships. But when we do that, we actually end up on a pathway to hurt. So now, here we go. Now we're going to talk about forgiveness. And so I know that when we get to talking about forgiveness now, some of you are thinking about the person that you know that you need to forgive. And you're thinking right now, Ron, I could never forgive them. You just don't know how much I've been hurt. And you're right. I don't know how much they've hurt you. I don't. But God does. And I'm going to show you a picture right now of how everything that we're talking about today is possible. I'm going to show you a story of how a woman forgave the unforgivable in her life, And how she set both herself and her offender free from the bitterness and unforgiveness. We're going to watch a story of a woman who came to the place of desperation when she realized that holding on to her hurt and pain was doing damage to her soul as she had built a room into her heart where the devil was able to launch out. And she said, I'm not going to live this way. And she did something about it. Let's watch her story.
1: We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson
2: all you've done for me. He never had a chance.
1: In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child.
2: My son was gone.
1: The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel.
2: I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be
1: caged. And he was... Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, She introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive.
2: Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me.
1: For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes,
2: I'm grateful.
1: Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News,
0: Minneapolis.
2: For all you've done for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that's applause for God's grace. And Mary's courage. Wow. How does she do that? It's just so powerful when you, you know, listen to her story. Well, I think it's because if you listen to what she said, she said, Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you up from the inside out. You guys have probably heard the saying that unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. It's kind of what un- unforgiveness is all about. So here's what she did. She did the next step. She resolved, and I put a strong word in here, descriptor relentlessly forgive. Forgiveness is not easy, and it may not be accomplished in one step. It may be a process that we have to go through. So we have to resolve to relentlessly forgive. So this is what he says in verse 32a. He says, Instead of all these other ways to respond, he said, Be kind and be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. So forgiveness is when I release the debt that someone owes me because they've hurt me, because of the infraction that they've done, and the pain that they've caused me. It's when we set them free from them having to pay us back for the pain we've received. And as we learned in that video, not only do we set them free, but we set ourselves free when we forgive we set someone else free but we set ourselves free and refusing re- forgiveness is refusing to harbor the bitterness and revenge and it means that we trust god for justice and as i said it may take a long time to forgive it may take a long time for the pain that especially if you've held on to the pain for quite a while and it's actually rooted into a room into your heart it may take quite a while to remodel your heart for god to do his work for it to be changed and transformed me take a process. So Peter came to Jesus one time, and the next verse is there from Matthew 18. It says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. So when Peter asked that question, he thought he was being very generous. You know, that he was like an A student. <laughs> He's an overachiever here. Because in the Jewish law, you were required to forgive someone. Does anybody know the answer? Three times three times. It was written in law that you had to forgive them three times. So when he says seven times, he's like, I'm like an overachieving student here. you know. And so I I just know Jesus. And seven is the number of perfection. And then Jesus goes on and says this, and he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now there's two ways of reading this verse, and some of you know it in a different way. So 77 times, or another way of reading this is 70 times seven. So I just looked at it and said, it really doesn't matter, right? 77 times is a lot. And 70 times seven is a lot. And I don't think the number is what Jesus was getting at. Is Jesus was actually saying, it's a process that you're going to get to work through. And that you will continue to work through until you reach a place. And you're going to reach a place where you're going to go, you know what? I've forgiven her, I've forgiven him, I've forgiven them. I no longer think about harm coming to them. Instead, I'm thinking of good coming to them and what that might mean. It's a process that we go through. So, you know, when Jesus, you know, second 77 or 490, that number's not important. You know what number is the most important? Number one. Number one. I've got to take the first step. And I've got to take the next step and the next step and move forward in the process of being able to forgive people. So in order to forgive, you have to start with that first time and then continue as long as it takes. And when you don't forgive, what you're doing is, you know, I just want to give you kind of a picture here. When you don't forgive, what you're doing is you've got this treasure chest. And in this treasure chest or in your heart, you've got this box and you've got your angst and your hurt and your pain And when you don't forgive, basically what you're saying is, you hook a rope up to your chest, and you carry it around with you for the rest of your life. And so when you go into relationships, you've got this chest back here, and it's ready to be unloaded wherever you go. And you go to work, and you've got this chest, and it's ready to be unloaded wherever you go. And you go into a marriage, and you've got this chest, and it's ready to be unloaded wherever you go. You have kids, and you've got this chest, and it's ready to be unloaded wherever you go. The question is, how long are you going to carry the chest? How long? Jesus says we don't have to carry that. We unload it. We give it to him. And then he's able to allow us and strengthen us to be able to forgive. The only way you cannot forgive is to choose not to forgive. Is to choose not to forgive. Okay, the fourth idea is this, and we're going to move into communion. In order to be forgiving, we must receive forgiveness from God. We must receive forgiveness from God. I'm just saying it this way. The only way I can do what I'm talking about today is to reflect have received and reflect on how God has forgiven me. I was telling the teams, we, were, you know, we like to pray before services. And so we were praying this morning, and I was saying that, um, that when, we, when it comes to this idea of forgiveness, we have people who hurt us once, and we never see them again, or we never cross their paths again, or they never hurt us again. So we have those one-time offenses. And so, those are actually easier to forgive, is the one-time offense, unless it's something as dramatic as killing a son. But then, the harder ones, for I, I think, for us to forgive are the ones that we st- are still in relationship with, and so that there's still opportunities to be hurt. We're still reminded of the hurt. And so, for those folks, it, it requires a daily forgiving, a daily forgiving, coming to God and say, God, I want you to help me to forgive again. I want you to help me to forgive again. God, I want you to help me to forgive again. And when you do that, it releases you of the bitterness you have toward another person. And I did, the craziest thing is it pulls you closer to that person. And maybe if that person is an abuser, I'm not saying you're going to be in relationship with, but it actually has, gives you a compassion for them that's deeper than you had before you chose To forgive in some way. This is what it says in Ephesians 4. It says, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And then it says in Colossians 3, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so when we're looking at how did God forgive us, and so that's why we're going to have communion today. That's why we set up the whole service to get us to this place. The Lord forgave us freely. He forgave us when he allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to go on the cross for us. He allowed us when he allowed us to experience grace. So I put in a definition there, uh, a, a word there, a Greek word, don't, I don't think this is, maybe this is the first time I've ever done this, I put a Greek word on your, no, on your notes, but charizomai. And so charizomai is the word Paul's using when he says forgive, okay? So that's the word he's using. Now you guys know charis means grace, maybe you don't know that, but charis means grace. So what he says, charizomai means is to give away the grace you received. To give away the grace you received. And he says that that's possible for us to do. When we understand the grace we've received, we're able to then give it away so that we can be free and the other folks can be free as well. And we can only be, I think we can only forgive, as the Bible calls us to forgive, when we've been forgiven by God and understand that. Because he has forgiven us, we can forgive others. We want to understand his grace. And Ephesians 1 says this, it says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us a chance right now. I'm going to pray and give us a chance to pray because maybe you've never received forgiveness from God before. And as I said in my prayer at the start today, might be a day to say yes to him and be forgiven by him. So that as we move into communion, that you could really be experiencing what it means to be forgiven. So if you bow your heads with me for a minute, we just want to pray. I'm going to have our ushers to move into place while I'm praying. So, God, we want to thank you for this opportunity we have to hear from you. And we know that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, that you want us to experience your grace and your love. And so, I just want to pray if there's someone in the room who's never said yes to you, that today would be the day they receive your forgiveness, and so that they can stand free today. They can sit there and they can know that they've been cleansed and forgiven. And God, then out of that place, in all of us, is just a reminder today that because of the cross, that we can be forgiving people. In fact, if we're not forgiving, we have not received full forgiveness from God. We don't understand. That's what I mean. Help us to learn how to be forgiving. Help us to learn how to let go and to love others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to reserve you communion now, and what we're going to do is we're going to Give you a tray, and there's going to be a cracker on there and some juice. Take one of each, and then if you'll hold on to those, we're all going to then observe communion together after we're all served, after we hear this song about remembering what we're doing here. As we come to this time where we do have communion together here's what God would want to say to you today. When it comes to forgiveness God doesn't want you to try harder God wants you to remember better He wants you to remember what He's done for you He wants you to remember the cross, the price that was paid the pain and suffering that Jesus went through to pave the way that you could be forgiven so that you could become a forgiving person so on the night that Jesus was going to be crucified, and he had his dinner with his disciples, he took the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples and said, eat this, it's my body which will be broken for you, Let's eat this, and thank Jesus for what he did. And then he poured juice in a cup and he said this juice represents my blood which will be shed for you drink this and remember it to me and god i just thank you so much that you gave us this physical act that we could be called to this place where we'd remember what you've done for us and god i pray that you would help us now as we go and we are called upon to be forgiving people, to forgive one another, to forgive the offenses, that we had. remember what you've done for us. And it's not about us trying harder. It's about us just remembering more clearly what, how much we needed you and that grace was available for every one of us. Nobody was excluded because of what we had done. Help us to be that kind of forgiver, Jesus. Help us to learn to be like that. And as we do that, that love is seen. That love is shown, God is seen, and lives are changed. Let's pray that we'd be positive examples for you in our world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.